you know, going through the book of Joshua for the past uh, couple of months, I, I feel like uh, ever since I came back from sabbatical, I've been preaching out of the book of uh, of Joshua. Um, is it on? Okay, there you go. Look how pretty it is. Um, and a few weeks ago, last week I preached uh, the Easter sermon, but a few weeks ago I uh, preached on mass circumcision. <laughs> it was uh, in Joshua where uh, uh, God tells Joshua to go circumcise all of the, the men uh, that were either born during the wilderness journey or came out of Egypt and they were still young. And, they, and during the circumcision, uh, during the, uh, the wandering period, they didn't circumcise. And so uh, they had to kind of uh, get back into it. And God tells them, hey, you're at the, at the precipice of your promised land. You have just entered into the promised land. You crossed over the, uh, the Jordan River. And a new generation of people needed to know and understand the, the covenantal promise that God made with them. So for 40 years, they've been wandering through the wilderness, and they've just been following God. They've, they've known about the presence of God. They've known about what it is to follow God. But they didn't really know about the covenantal promise, the promise that God made to Abraham and to his descendants that he will be their God and they will be his people, and that God will bless them and that they will uh, come and and. And, and, and take and, pro- and claim this promised land um, that they've been, they've been wandering in this wilderness for, for so long. They, they needed to really understand this promise. And so God has them circ- all circumcised. Um, you know, you guys have to understand, like, hearing about a promise is one thing, but actually, like, for the men uh, to, to experience it in their body was another thing. And for a, a whole generation, imagine 40 years, right? It's like a, that's a long time. For 40 years, these people that grew up didn't know what it was to really be circumcised and for that promise to be established in their lives. And so, you know, they, they go through circumcision, and after this, they celebrate the Passover. Uh, Tiffany just read it earlier. We read it uh, in uh, Joshua 5. While the people of Israel were encamped in Gigal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening of the plain of Jericho, and the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So after the exodus, after they leave Egypt, you know, God does this amazing miracle, uh, and then they leave Egypt, they only actually celebrate the Passover one time at the one-year anniversary of them leaving, and, and the Passover was basically just what happened as they left Egypt, right? Um, and so, you know, one year after that, in Numbers 9-5, they sacrificed and they ate the sacrificial lamb. It's called the Paschal lamb. They eat the unleavened cake and the, the bitter herbs, and, you know, it commemorates when, when they did this and they put the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their home. The angel of the Lord, the Spirit of God, came and and it was the last plague, the tenth plague, where the spirit of the Lord came and killed the, the oldest son, the eldest son of each family. And, 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 you know, and he came, and if there was blood, the, 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 the lamb's blood on the doorpost, he would pass on by. And so all of the Israelites' eldest sons were, were saved, but all of the, the Egyptians, including the Pharaoh, his eldest son was killed. And so that was like the last straw that broke the camel's back, and they... And Pharaoh's like, no, be gone with you, you know, go. And like they like literally bless the Israelites as they leave Egypt. 
And they remember this, this amazing event. And this, that's what the Passover is. is when, when the Spirit of God passed over their house, and, and it actually, uh, remember, it's like a, it's a, a symbol of Jesus Christ, you know, and our, his blood on us, which causes death to pass over us. Um, and so it's this great history lesson that God gives this new generation of people as they're about to enter into the promised land. They do circumcision. They do Passover. God gives them a history lesson about where they are, who they are, and where they come from. And this is important because they needed to know who they were before they actually went into where they were supposed to go. You need to know who you are before you get to where you're supposed to be. If you don't know where you are, you might get to where, if you don't know who you are, you might actually get to where you're supposed to be, and you might actually be doing what you're supposed to be doing, but you might actually miss it. You might squander whatever opportunities that you may have. It's because identity is very important to God. God knows where you're supposed to be, but he's more concerned about who you are and whether you know who you are before you actually get there. You know, even though the older generation experienced all these miracles, they saw the ten plagues, they saw, you know, God split the, the, the Red Sea before them, and, and they even knew where they were supposed to go. They're supposed to go to Canaan. They're supposed to go into the promised land. They didn't know who they were. Who did they think they were? When they, after they left Egypt, and they're at the, at the entryway of the promised land, who did they think they were? They thought that they were slaves. They had that slave mentality. God is more invested in who we are, our identity, than what we do or where we go. Because you might actually be doing what you're supposed to be doing, doing it in the place that you're supposed to be doing it, but you've missed out on God's purpose. Because he's all about who you are in your heart, in the center of who you are. He's more concerned about that than anything that you can do for him. You might be doing all these things for God, but if you are, if who you are does not match up to what you're doing, who you are will eventually catch up to you and shine through. That's why character is so important. Character is more important than talent. Character is more important than giftings that you may have, because character speaks more about who you are than what you do. Now, Molly. I'm going to put you on the spot, Molly. But Molly, when she took over tech team from Jin, Jin was our old tech team leader. She was a great tech team leader. And when we, when we raised up Molly, he's like, Molly, you're going to be a tech team leader. She knew almost nothing about tech, right? <laughs> she knew very little. I think she was on the service team or, or one of the teams. But, and she knew very little about tech. But she's an amazing tech team leader. She is, one of the, she is probably the best tech team leader that we've had. And it's not because she knows all of these things about tech and all of these like things about like sound and things. She's a great tech team leader because of her character. You know, Molly's like the John Newfield of our campus, right? <laughs> Molly has amazing character. It's because of the character that she possesses. She's able to do things with excellence. She's able to do it in the heart and in the spirit that God wants her. But God gives them this history lesson as they're about to enter into the promised land and they're about to do their first battle. They needed to know their identity. They needed to know who they are. They needed to know who they were 
and they needed to know where they came from. That they were people of promise through circumcision, and they needed to know and celebrate what God did to bring them out of freedom, bring them out of slavery into freedom and redemption. And so they celebrate Passover. They sacrifice the lamb, and they eat the unleavened bread, and they eat the bitter herbs to symbolize what happened and how God liberated them from Egypt. And right after this, people of Israel, they, they eat from the produce of Canaan. For 40 years, they've been eating manna. And finally, they actually eat from the, from the produce of Canaan, from the land. And then the Bible says that the manna stops. Now, there's a really cool sermon by Stephen Furtick. I don't know if you guys know Stephen Furtick. He has this really cool sermon. It's called, He Took the Manna Off the Menu. It's a very cool title, and I wish I had thought of it first. But I don't have such a cool title. But my title for today is, Why the Manna Stopped. Why did the manna stop? We know that the manna started to fall from heaven shortly after the exodus. And it's called manna. You guys know what manna means? Manna means what is it? That's literally what it means. So if you're ever in Israel and somebody gives you something like weird to eat, you know what you say? Manna. Because <laughs> it literally means what is it? Right? It'll give you a Hebrew lesson. Because they saw these things fall from heaven, and they're like, what is it? I don't know what this is. You know what this is? I don't know what is it. So they actually named it, what is it? And it, it's a heavenly, it was a heavenly miracle. They say, it's, the Bible says that it, it's like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And it's referred to at different places in the Bible as the grain of heaven, bread of angels. And when I was young, I remember this guy was talking about manna, and I remember thinking, like, it must taste like golden grams, right? I don't know why. Because golden grams taste like honey and graham crackers, graham crackers. And the reason I thought this is because when I was young, I would never get sick of golden grams. Like, when my mom would buy golden grams, me and my sister would finish it within the first, like, hour, right? It would be like, you never get sick of golden grams. So every morning, this amazing food would come down from heaven, and they would gather it. Before the sunrise, they would have to go there and gather it just for the day. They couldn't try to collect more than, you know, their daily allotment because they try to save it for the next day. Like me, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to collect tomorrow. I'm just going to get my double portion today. And then tomorrow would come around and it would all rot. There would be worms all up in it. And so they couldn't uh, take more than, you know, what they were like, in, what they needed for that day. And then Friday would come and they would give, there'd be a double portion, right? Because, you know, Saturday is their Sabbath. And so Friday they're able to, they need to collect twice the amount. So that, you know, they can actually eat it on, on Friday. And then when Friday would come around the Sabbath, it actually wouldn't, it wouldn't rot. Only on the Sabbath, it wouldn't rot, right? It was a, mirac it was a miraculous sign of the provision of God, right? This was amazing. This is like, like for 40 years, this amazing food that actually would meet all of their nutritional needs, right? Because that's all they had to eat. They would make it all these different ways. They would fry it. They would bake it. They would grind it into it thing, and they, you know, it was vegan, you know, I, I believe it was vegan, you know, it was this, this amazing food that would come down from heaven for 40 years, that's a long time, and they, they, it's, it's a miracle, right, it really is, it was a miracle that they saw every morning, food, miraculous provision of God coming from, the, this, from, from heaven, but eventually when the people of Israel entered into the promised land, the manna stopped. 
it stopped flowing from heaven. Why? Why did the manna stop? Why did this miraculous food that's been coming from, from heaven, why did it stop? And the first point I want to make is that manna was not God's original plan for his people. God reminds them of their miraculous liberation from Egypt by celebrating Passover. And then as they eat from the produce of the land that they're supposed to enter, the manna stops. Manna was not God's original intention. It was not his original plan for the Israelites. God didn't free them. God didn't liberate them for them to eat manna by their lives. It was a means to an end. It was a necessity for God to keep the Israelites alive while the older generation died off. And it, it was God's goodness, but it wasn't God's best. It wasn't the best that God had for them. It was a means to get the people back in line. It was basically survival food. Have you ever seen like the what the, the armies eat, like the the rations that you know? Some people like them. I don't know. If they, they, you can actually get it. Go if you go to, I think if you go to like Chagachishijan, you can actually get the army ration food that they have. It lasts forever, right? But that's basically what this was. It was survival food. It was food that that God created out of heaven so that the Israelites could survive. But God didn't save the Israelites just to survive. God saved them so that they can claim their promised land. And so that as they come into the promised land and they actually do what God intended for them to do, which is eat from the land, and now, and they, they know who they are now. You know, they, they've been circumcised. They've, they've celebrated Passover. The manna stops. God's provision, his miraculous provision stops so that they can claim his promise. In the same way with us, our Passover is who? Our Passover is Jesus Christ. He was, uh, he was the sacrificial lamb that was slain so that we could be together with God, so that God's wrath is satisfied, so that we no longer you know, are headed for an eternity of hell and damnation. But Christ died on the cross for us so that, not so that we can just survive. Just to make it to heaven. But he, he wants full victorious life for us. Just, not just to make it to like, you know, just, just right at the doorstep of heaven. Like, oh, hooray, I made it. No, he wants our life on this earth to be full, to be abundant, to be filled with life. For us to not just live in forgiveness but in freedom. There's a huge difference between living in forgiveness and living in freedom. But so many of us, we just live in forgiveness. God, forgive me for what I've done. And then we're like, oh, we feel the sense of forgiveness. And then all of a sudden, we're like, we go back to struggling with the th same thing that we've been, it's like, a, like you know, I, this is really shameful, and this is kind of a, you know, kind of gross, but my dog eats, his, eats her poo sometimes, right? And then we tell her, no, don't do it. And then we're just like, oh, and then all of a sudden, like a month later, we look at her and she eats her poop. It's the same thing. That's like living out of forgiveness. But what God wants for us is for us to live in freedom. And the freedom that he has for us is so much greater than just the forgiveness that God gives us. Sorry, I mentioned that. But all dogs eat poop. I don't know if you guys know. If you guys raise, But most dogs, I mean our dog does. It's not, it's not a pretty size. God wants us to experience the fullness of what he has for us. And it means not just existing or just getting by, but living our lives in complete obedience to his word and his will for us. 
to be at the center of God's will, is, is the, like to be at the center of the will of the one that created me is exactly the place I want to be. And in order for me to be there, it's out of obedience. You need to be living a life of obedience. And it starts with the Passover. It starts with Jesus. His blood and his sacrifice makes him the Lord of our lives. It means that he is in control. To be the Lord, you know, like, like, I don't know if you guys, you guys watch, like, um, Lord of the Rings, right? Right? The king, if the king says something, right, if the Lord says something, right, then everybody else basically has to obey what the Lord says. And if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, it really means that he is in control. We are obedient to his word, and we are obedient to his leadings. And we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us into a life that's not only victorious, but it's full of life. It's rich. And it, and it's, it, it has, like, God's perfect will behind it. It doesn't mean that you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean that you're going to get everything you want or even get everything you need. But you are living at the center of his will, at the center of his heart. And it is the most safe the safest place you can be, and it's the most perfect place that we can we can be. And it only comes through surrender. It comes through obedience. First Samuel 15 tells us, "Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice." So many things we we like. God, I want to do all these amazing things for you. God, I, I want to like you know this. I want to like be like this so that I can live like it. But then God's like, you know what? Obey me in this. But like, oh no, I don't have time to obey you in that, God. But like, look at the big picture, God. And God, God's about the big picture, but He's also about the the little obedience that He wants us to live in. Right? God doesn't want. He can never give us the whole big picture because we it's so exposed. If we knew the full picture of the potential that God has for each and every one of us, we're gonna mess it up. I know I will. If I knew the full picture of what God had in store for me, I. I I'm going to screw it up. I will stick my foot in my mouth. I'll do something that I'm not supposed to. I'll, like, get ahead of myself. That's why God wants us to live these lives of incremental obedience. Because as we are are obedient in the little things, God's going to start to prepare us for the bigger things. We can't, you know, we we always think, like, oh, the big picture. No, it's the little steps of obedience that God wants out of us. It's, It's so much to obey, obey him is better than and is greater than any sacrifice that we can make for him. God's promised land for us is not about God giving us everything that we need. Now, I got this from Stephen Furtick. And I'm going to quote him. It says, if God gave us everything we need, it will be just a matter of time before we start thinking we don't need him. We get all prideful and we think that all of this is because I did something right. I feel like that sometimes. Right? Something goes right. I'm like, man, I did such a good job. I pat myself on the back. You know? oh, man, I'm such a good husband. I'm such a good dad. You know, all these things. We get all filled with pride, and then we lose sight of God. But it's about working with God, right? Walking with God in obedience to bring about His purpose in our lives, because. The goal isn't to, like, gain something and have something at the end. The goal is to fulfill God's purpose. It's all, I'm going to preach on it next week, but it's, it's all about God's will. 
It's all about God's purposes in our lives. And I want to live out of the promises that God has for me. Don't you want to live out of the promises of God? God's promised amazing things in the Bible, amazing things in the Word of God. And if we obey, we live in His promises. That's, that is, that is just, that's the roadmap that God has for us. You know, manna was not God's original plan for the Israelites. It was His promise. The original plan for the Israelites was the promises that God had for his people. And we see the Israelites partaking in God's promise as they eat from the produce of the land. And they start eating all of these like amazing stuff like grapes. And they're like, oh, grapes. I forgot what grapes tasted like. I forgot what apples tasted like. I forgot what like, you know, I forgot what chicken tasted like. And I forgot what, and they're like, oh, this is, and then, and then, and then manna stops. It just kind of like goes away because now they're actually partaking in the promises that God has for us. And you guys have to understand the promises that God has for us is so much greater than anything that we can imagine in our minds that would be good for us. I'd, tell, I'd be like, oh, man, my life would be perfect if I had an Audi. Well, I could have an Audi, and then my life would suck still. You know what I mean? Like, we think in such small things, like, oh, my life would be perfect if I, like, lived in this kind of a house. My life would be perfect if I had this kind of a job. My life would be perfect if I had, like, you know, this kind of a husband or this kind of a wife and I had this kind of kids. We think all these things, like, this is the plan of God for my life. I want God to give me this, and if he gives me this, this is going to be what's right. But we, dude, we've gotten all those things from God, and so, so many times they all fall short of whatever, like, expectations that we had. Because what God, what's going to actually satisfy that part of our soul is when we start to experience the promises of God in our lives. The same thing could be given to us. We can go out and take it, or we can actually begin, like, God can, like, bring it into our lives. It's going to be completely different. Right? Marriage, a job, right? Like, I can go and, like, I can, like, save up all this money. Like, I can, like, you know, and, and then, like, you know, buy this, like, car, or, like, God can, like, bless it to me. It's going to be so much different, and it's going to be such a different experience when we claim it as, as God's promise. And so we see the Israelites, they're eating of the fruit of the land. They're eating of the produce of the land. They're experiencing. They start to realize, man, manna was okay, but this is amazing. And they were like, this is what God promised us. This is what God promised us, and now we're actually eating it. I bet you that grape tasted amazing. Right? Imagine eating the same thing for 40 years, and all of a sudden you try something different. Like, and God wanted them to experience this. That's why the manna stopped. My next point is that the man has stopped to mature the Israelites. God's plan for us is maturity, for us to grow and mature into the greater things of God. Colossians 1.27, it says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in as the Israelites entered Canaan, they weren't just going to be given the promised land. You know, yes, the enemy was afraid. The enemy was afraid. We read about it earlier in the chapter that the enemy was afraid. But they weren't just going to hand the promised land over to the, to the people of Israel. They were, they, they were going to give up. They were, they were going to fight. The Israelites 
they were going to need to fight. They were going to need to go into warfare. They needed to come out of this wilderness mindset as, 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 as like a, this wilderness mindset of just having everything just kind of given to them. Like, you need, you need sustenance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it so that this food that never existed in the history of the world is going to start to fall from the cloud, sky every, every day. And then you go, you're going to only have exactly um, uh, enough for you to eat for that day. It's this perfect amount. Because God's, you know, he, God's, he's perfect. So he gives them the perfect amount. He's like, I'm going to spoon feed you this every day. But if you're going to actually take and claim the promised land, you're going to need to break out of this mindset of ha- having everything just handed to you. They needed to mature. They needed to go after the things that they were promised. And God does this for a reason. Because if something is just handed to you, it's not that meaningful. But when you go after something and we work hard and we claim what's ours, it means so much more to us. It means so much more when we're actually, when we go after something and we claim it as a promise of God. Yes, God will be with them. We'll see later that as they take down Jericho, that, that, that obedience to God is, is, you know, that God is with them. When they're obeying the Lord, God is with them. But they need to go after it and claim it as a promise that God gave them. And they, they wouldn't have this mindset if they were just given manna every morning. They needed to know what it was like to claim the promise. The promise to the produce of the land. And then it's, it's, just, it's just the fertility of the ground. right? As, as, as the ground is so fertile and it's so filled with life. And they're, they're seeing this promise come through. It's like, man, this is ours. This is what God has promised us. And they have to know what it is to claim. That it's not just going to be handed to them every morning. They needed to go out and claim it as, as their promise, as their inheritance. You know, there's times in our lives when we're, when we're walking with God and everything is awesome. Everything is great. You know, things come so easily. Grace is upon us. Remember the early days of our, our church and we would have those church retreats. It would be amazing, right? Our church retreats were so great. We're so filled with like... Like all these amazing things, everything was so fresh, everything was so new and cool. And then there are times where things get tough. It seems like there is less grace or no grace. And all of a sudden, you're struggling with things that you felt were behind you, things that you thought you conquered, things that, you, that, that you were in your past. And you get discouraged and you feel weak and you feel like, oh, crappy. But I want you to know that it's not that you're weak or that you suck. It just means that God thinks that you're ready for the challenges that he has for you in your life. That you're ready for you to enter into the promise that he has for you. But he's not just going to hand it to you like manna every morning. God's not going to just give you this. He's like, oh, here's your promise. There you go. He wants you to, he wants you to break out of it and, and claim and go into that next level. For you to break out of it and claim it. God removes certain graces in your life not because he's messing with you. But he wants you to just know just how strong you are. He wants you to know the fullness of your potential. Who's seen Captain Marvel? Anybody seen Captain Marvel? Thought it was good? Remember when she's all, she has that thing on her neck. If you didn't see it, I'm not, I'm not giving much away, right? But there's this thing on her neck where that, that actually is inhibiting her powers, right? But when, at the end, when she takes it off, she's able to realize the fullness of her strength. Like, ah, and then everybody, like, blows up, right? Everybody didn't give much away, right? Sorry. But, but. 
God wants us to have the fullness and the potential. Like, he wants us to be able to understand the fullness of the potential that we have in him. And we're never going to be able to experience it if we're handed the promises of God every day. Every day. Here you go. Here you go. No, you don't have any, you don't, you know, you don't want to feel, feel bad today? Okay, now I'm just going to give it to you. No, God says that our lives are going to be struggled. He says, he, says, he says, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. Paul talks about it all the time. He's like, dude, there will be persecution. And we're seeing it in persecution all around the world. Christians are being persecuted. Right? We are blessed to be living in this country right? where we can actually live, you know, worship in, in freedom. But God never said that our lives were going to be this, like, this easy. Everything is going to be done for us. Manna every morning. Here you go. It's like the way that I give Ethan cereal every morning. He doesn't have to try. He just goes out and he just expects it. He just sits there. I don't even have to ask him. I just give it to him. Because I, I know exactly what he wants. He's like, what's up, Ethan? Hi. And I just grab it and I give it to him. And he just eats, right? That's manna. But then God's saying that, hey, you, you, you're not going to be able to, to have the promised land if, if that's what your mentality is. And so the manna stops. God removes these graces from our lives so that we can actually go after it after the promise that he has for us. But the enemy will always lie to you. Things are harder because God doesn't love you. He's ignoring you. He doesn't want good things for you. He doesn't think you deserve it. Just get depressed and go back to your old way. When struggle comes, that's what we feel. That's the first lie. The, the, you know, the enemy is all full of lies. He's the father of lies, right? It's his main weapon. His main tool is to lie to you. But when we feel discouraged, when things happen, when struggle comes... When, there's, when the certain graces are removed from our lives, all of a sudden we start to hear the lies. Oh, God, God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't think I deserve good things. Oh, I, and I feel all down and I feel all gloomy. And then the more we listen to the lies of the devil, if we listen to the lies of the devil long enough, he starts to sound like the truth. And we miss out on the promises of God. We have to stand on the Word of God. Do you guys understand that the Word of God is truth? And as you stand on the Word of God, this is why the Bible is so important. As you start to, to, to in, inject the truth of God into us, and we read the Word of God, we meditate on the Word of God, we allow the Word of God to speak to our hearts, we're able to differentiate between the Word of God and the Word of the devil. Sometimes if we don't, if we're not in God's presence enough, all of a sudden the Word of the enemy starts to become truth in our hearts and our we start to think, oh, yeah, maybe, oh, I do suck. Oh, you you are a crappy husband. Oh, you are a crappy dad. Oh, you, what are you doing? Like, what? Are, but then all of a sudden we, we lose out on the promises of God. There's certain promises that God has for us that can be only be found in the Word of God as we allow the Word of God to be truth in our lives. What seems like a depression, you know, what seems like, you know, when us, we're like going down, you know, we feel like we're going down. What seems like a depression might actually be God pulling us back so that we can propel ourselves. God can propel us into the next level. Whenever we feel down, whenever we feel a valley, right, the first thing we have to go is to the Word of God. As we go to the Word of God, we're going to realize, hey, God said that there's going to be times like this. But you know what? It's actually a, it's a means for God to take me to a new level, to break me out of this bring me to a higher level where I'm going to 
I'm going I'm to experience greater levels of joy. I'm going I'm to experience the promise of God in a, in a new and greater way. And that's not going to happen as we continue to snack on manna, as we continue to just, just take the things that God gives us every day. Oh, thanks, God. Thanks for giving me food today. See you later until you give me food again tomorrow. We have to go into the deeper things of God, the richer things of God, the things that put that contain the promises of God. Right? It means digging deeper into the Word of God. It means like getting deeper with God, so that we are actually able to like like anticipate and expect promises that He has for us. And so the manna went away. And the third thing that God, why God, rid of where well, why God got rid of the manna is God wanted to teach kingdom principles. The Israelites became a generation of people that knew very little about agriculture. You guys have to understand, God is a farmer. When God created man, what did he create him from? Dirt, right? Pastor Brian says this, we're all dirt bags, right? Right? God created us from the dirt of the ground. He's a farmer. He's a farmer. Where does he work with? The first thing that he makes for man is what? He creates a garden, right? And he tells Adam to go and be a gardener. Go and take care of this garden, right? God is all about agriculture. He, he does every, I, I talked about this. He does everything slow because God is seasonal. Right? He creates fruit. Right? Fruit doesn't happen overnight. An apple doesn't just pop out like it does in those video games. Like, no, it, it, it starts as a little flower, and then the flower dies, and then there's a bud, and that bud starts to grow, and it looks a little bit like, a, like, a, like, a, like, a, like an acorn, and then it gets a little bigger, and all of a sudden, oh, it's a, it's a tiny apple. And then, like, it takes another, like, a month for that apple to just get a little bit bigger, and then at the end of it, all of a sudden, we have these big apples. It, it takes a season for fruit to come. God is a farmer. And when you, when you hear Jesus, all of his teaching, so much of his teaching is based on agriculture. Talk about the, the, the sower right? and, the, and the people that, the, the, the seed that, that falls on rocky soil and the seed that, that falls on the thorny soil and the seed that falls on good soil. He talks about the mustard seed, right? the smallest of the seed that grows to be the, the biggest of the, the seed-bearing plant. So many of, this, of, of the things that he talks about is based on agriculture. So... We have this generation of people that have that know nothing about growing. For 40 years, they wandered through the wilderness and they saw nothing grow. All everything just fell from the sky every morning. Everything that they ate is literally was outside their camp. They just had to go and just pick it up and bring it home and make it and eat it. They knew nothing about growing. Manna just fell from the heavens, and so God has manna stopped so that the, so that now. Bible says that they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And God does this so that they can learn about one of the most important fundamental principles of the kingdom, and it's sowing and reaping. If you want to reap, you need to sow. If you sow, you will reap. And you reap what you sow. This is the principle that this generation of people knew nothing about. These young people that were, were coming up and wandering, and they they were born in the wilderness, and now they're 40 years old, right? They're my age, actually a little younger, right? And they knew nothing about gardening. They knew nothing about how a seed, if you put it in the ground and you sow it, you wait a little bit, and, then, and it grows into something that you can eat. And this is an important aspect of the, 
the Israelites' maturity. It's wisdom, and it's wisdom that can only come with maturity. Have you ever tried to teach a child about sowing and reaping? Right? I, tell, I tell Ethan, hey, you can, you can use this money to buy candy now, or you can put it in the bank. And if you, live, if you wait a little bit, you'll have more money than you put in at the end. You'll have more money than what you put in. And you can take that out and buy something more. And what did he say? I want candy now. I've never seen him be like, okay, what kind of interest am I going to get? No. He's like, I want candy now. I tell him, hey, if you, if you, we tell him about like collecting money. Like, hey, if you save your allowance and you, you, you and he gets an allowance and you get, and you, and, 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 and you, you collect them, you can actually buy something big. And he's like, no, I want to buy this now. I was like, dude, you, you have this already. No, I want another one, right? It takes maturity to understand sowing and reaping. And it's the things of the kingdom are not about instant gratification. It's about sowing and it's about reaping. It's a fundamental principle of the kingdom of God. And the Israelites needed to understand, and they will get a harsh lesson on this in just a few chapters, right? In a few chapters, I'm going to be preaching on it. But they needed to understand that they reap what they sow. If you sow obedience to God, they reap what they sow. If they sow, you know, discord and rebellion, they reap what they sow. And so God stops the manna and turns them back into this agricultural society to teach them this important truth about sowing and reaping. I want to close today with the principle of sowing and reaping. I want you to know that there's actually different levels to sowing and reaping. Like the first level, the, everybody knows this, is you, you sow sin, you reap what sin produces, which is death, right? Galatians 6, 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whoever, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap also. Or you sow goodness, you tithe, you give offering, you give your time and energy into helping people, you give to the poor, and you will reap the goodness of what you sow. That's sowing and reaping. And a lot of pastors have a hard time talking about tithing and teaching on tithing. But it is a perfect example of sowing and reaping. And if you read the book of Malachi, God tells his people, never test me on anything. The, the, the Bible is full of commands of like, do not test the Lord, right? Don't test the Lord. Don't test me. But in Malachi, he, ta- he talks about, it says, Malachi 3, 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is a perfect example of the kingdom principle of sowing and reaping. When you sow financially into the kingdom of God, you will reap what you sow. It may not necessarily be money. You might not become rich or, you know, you might, you know, you, God might just give you enough to, for you to, to, to sustain. But God will bless you. This is the word of God. The word of God says, I will bless you. Test me on this. That if you sow, you will reap. It's a kingdom principle. And I believe as a pastor, I have to teach on this at some point. Because you guys have to know that you, this is the way that God's going to bless you. But there's actually another level of sowing and reaping that I want to talk about today. And it's this. We sow not so that we can reap, but we sow so that other people can reap. This is the heart of the principle that's found in the gospel. Jesus sowed. He sold his time, he sold his energy, he sold his body to the cross, not so that he could reap, but we could reap. That we could reap what he sowed. 
And as we grow and mature in Christ, we will do a lot of sowing. And we may not actually reap what we sow, but it will be other people that reap. There will be other people that harvest. That's what the gospel is. When you're, talking about some, when you're talking about Jesus to somebody, when you witness, when you share the gospel with somebody, you're sowing and you're doing all this work. You're, you're, you're feeling all awkward and you're, you feel all like, oh, you know, like sharing the gospel is hard, right? But you sow not so that you could reap it. What do you reap? You, you sow so that other people can reap the gospel. Other people can reap eternal life. And this is the truth that God wants to teach the Israelites. Learn to sow well so that not only do you reap, but the generation that comes after you will reap. Because the ones that entered the promised land, they reaped what their fathers sowed, right? All of the young people that, that walked through the wilderness, what did they reap? They reap what their father sowed, right? Their father sowed unbelief. And so for 40 years, they literally had to walk through the wilderness eating manna, you know. And not really, you know, you know, they wore the same shoes for 40 years, right? They reaped what their forefathers sowed. And so God is saying, sow well so that the generations to come will reap the blessing that you've sown. So, so, so not so, not so that you can reap, but so that others can reap. When we reap, we reap earthly rewards. But when, when others reap, we have heavenly rewards. That's one thing that God wants to, to, to place in us. There's a lot of sowing that we can be doing. But we sow not so that we can reap it. But we sow that, that our generations to come will reap. We sow so that, so that others will reap. We sow so that the lost will reap. We sow so that, so that even our enemies may reap eternal life. That's the heavenly, that is the kingdom understanding of sowing and reaping. Now today I talked about manna. It was an amazing, wondrous miracle from God. But it wasn't God's best original plan for his people. And God has a plan for us, each and every one of us. You know, Jeremiah talks about God. I have a plan for you. A plan, you know, for, for not to like, you know, for you to just get all jacked up, like, like living in exile. Jeremiah wrote that during the exile. Like, this is not your plan. This is not the plan I have for you, right? My plan is not for you to experience my, my, the, the wrath of you going into exile. But I have good plans for you, plans for your welfare, right? I have plans for you that's going to actually go beyond what you're experiencing now. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring about the fullness of my promise into your life. He has a plan for us. A plan of a life, not just being comfortable, right? The plan that God has for us isn't for us to be comfortable. The plan that God has for us isn't for us to not want or need anything from Him. That's the plan of the world, right? The plan of the world says you should plan so that you don't want or need anything. You have everything you want. You have anything you need. That's the plan of the world. God never said that that was His plan for us. We have to get out of that mindset. But the plan that he has for us is a plan with a life with him as a center of it, directing and guiding us into a life that is abundant and full. And it's actually the purpose that God has for us. But it's going to require us to break out of that manna mindset of thinking that everything is just going to be handed to me. I just have to do this, and God's going to bless me with this. That's the manna mindset. If I follow God, then God's going to give me this. There's no struggle there. There's no discipline there. God will discipline the ones he loves. 
Now, discipline does not feel good. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to be like, man, this is really hard. This is really tough. Getting through this is really tough. This church right now is in a season like that. Where we, 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 we look around and we're like, oh, this is kind of a tough season for us. There's all these people banging outside this, like, oh, crack, crack, crack. And, like, you know, like, and we don't have the numbers that we've had. You know, our, our, our lead pastors, you know, stepped down like a year ago. It's been almost a year now. And we've been going through all of this rocking and shaking. And, and this is not like the, the heyday of New Philly when everything was so much easier and so much, everything was just came so easy. There's so much grace over this church. It seems like so much grace has been removed from our church. That doesn't mean that God is doing this because he hates us or he doesn't like it. He forgot about us. God's doing this so that we can break out of this and go into the next level, the next promises that God has for us. But it requires difficulty. It requires seasons where we're uncomfortable. We might not get everything that we need, but obedience is the key, guys. The one thing that I want to leave you with today is obedience. It's incremental obedience where God said, hey, obey me in this. Obey me in this. You may not, you may not experience the fruit right away. You may obey, obey him in that one thing and nothing might happen. It might be exactly the same. You might obey him in this and it might, everything might feel the same. Obey him in this and everything is still exactly the same. But God is, has you on a, in a process of taking you into the areas of your promise and the fullness of the life he has for you. It requires everyday obedience. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily, not just on Sunday, not just, not just when you want to. Every day, daily, you pick up the cross and you walk this walk and you live a life of obedience to the Word of God, obedience to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is in you, guys. You know that? Do you believe? If you're saved, do you believe that there's the Spirit of God is in you and He's speaking to you every day? Do you believe it? You may not hear Him because there's all these distractions around you. You may not hear Him because you're, you're focused on one thing. Oh, that guy looks so cute, you know? Oh, like, that girl is fine. Or, oh, I want, I want that in my life. Or, oh, I need, to, I, need to, I need to have some of that in my life, you know. So, so a lot of times we don't hear Holy Spirit because we turn on the radio of our needs and wants. We're like, like, we set our dial to, like, you know, like this. Or we set our, you know, I know like, most of you are single, so I don't want to pick on you single people. But, like, I feel like, oh, well, you know, if, if I have this much in my saving or if, if, if I have this kind of a marriage or, or if, if I have, like, if I live in this kind of apartment or we set our minds and our hearts to things and we drown out the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that God doesn't want good things for you. God wants good things for you. God wants you to prosper. But he wants you to prosper in tune with his spirit, you listening to him and you being led into the promises that he has for you. Now, I want to live a life where I experience his promise. I don't want to live, I don't want to be seven, 70 years old and I have all these little toys that I'm playing with. I'm like, oh, I have like this kind of car and I, you know, I did this and I did that. And then God's like, but you missed out on this promise. And I, I look over in heaven and I'm like, dang, I could have been doing that. Dang, I, I, I could have like, you know, I, I could have, I could have helped that many people come to the Lord. I could have like, like my, my, you know, I could have had a life like that at the center of God's perfect will for me. It all comes down to obedience. It all comes down to knowing that Holy Spirit is in you. And you have to know who you are. So the Israelites had a lesson in history. It's like, hey, this is who you are. You're a people of promise. That's, 
That was circumcision. You're a people of promise. I promised you this life, and you're going to have it. And when they did the, 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 the Passover, and he's like, you know what? You guys are people that I, I saved you. You don't even know where you've come from. You've come from this. You've come from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood, and he rose from the dead so that you could have a life that is full and abundant. As we live this life, we're going to be able to walk into the promise of God. And, and people of church, brothers and sisters, let's be people of the promise of God. Let's be people that look forward and claim the promises of God in our life. Let's pray. Let's all stand up.